Hi, and welcome to the Sweet Life Podcast, hosted by me, Jill. The Sweet Life Podcast is an anthology of life abroad, the female story, interviewing women from all over the world and telling a uniquely female perspective on the migrant narrative of life in Sweden. In this episode of the podcast, I interviewed Natasha Webster, who is a postdoctoral researcher at Stockholm University in the Human Geography Department. Um, her main areas of interests are in gender, migration, work-life practices and entrepreneurship. And we were initially introduced by a mutual friend and Natasha asked me to interview for her research work that she was currently carrying out. And in return, she agreed to be interviewed on my podcast. And it wasn't really until I had finished the interview with Natasha that I realised that this subject, migration through a female lens, was so underrepresented. And it's the very reason why we started this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So thank you, Natasha, for being here today and talking to us. I really appreciate it. Um, first of all, before we get started, what's your origin story? Why are you, how did you come to be in Sweden? Thanks, Jill, for having me. Um, my origin story, I think, is probably not that different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband got a job uh, here in Sweden, and um, we made the decision to to come here. And we had thought at the time that it would be uh, a short year or so in Sweden, um, but now we've been here coming up 11 years, so that's, I think, fairly common mm-hmm. among people's stories, but I'm originally from, from Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, we had traveled a fair bit together before, and we were really excited when he got the position in Sweden. And why... Were you, were you, were you, did you do what you did before you came to Sweden? No. So when I was working in Toronto, I had done uh, a master's of urban planning and then I had finished that. And at the time when I was doing my master's, my husband had come here on an internship uh, for about seven months and he had a wonderful life in Sweden while I (laughs) finished my master's. And then I started to work as a planner in Canada. So I was working on issues of uh, literacy, so adult literacy and integration and Mm. sort of community services. How, so the first question that springs to mind is how does that, how does adult literacy and integration fit into the role of a planner? Because I mean, when I, when you say planner, I think of urban development and, and, you know, how does that work? Yeah, that's, I think, what most people think about, and that is usually the normal definition of Mm -hmm. urban planning. Um, But my position was basically looking at how different organizations that support communities come together. Okay. So it was like, what kind of services does this community need? Who are the people living in this community? Where are they not getting services? So I suppose community infrastructure. Yeah, community, like social infrastructure. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a range of things from like, can they, adults who don't know how to read, can they get a place to learn how to read and become literate? But also questions of like, what is it like to move through a large city when you can't read? Can you use the metro system, for example? And what does it feel like to be illiterate and trying to look for a job? So my job was a lot to connect different 
actors in sort of planning services. So mm. metro service, for example, and the library mm. and different social actors mm. and employment offices, like often don't even think that people can't read or write in this day and age. Mm. That yeah. It's kind of a yeah. taken for granted skill, but actually there was a lot of, a lot of people who can't read mm. or write. Mm. Um, um, are not literate and then also working very closely with integration services because of course one aspect of that was new immigrants coming in new language new languages so there was a lot of questions also about um when you arrive um illiterate it's not just a question of learning a language it's also a question of learning how to go to school and learning how to read and write the concept of that in addition to doing that in another language. So there was mm. a lot of back and forth mm. with that. So that's what I was doing in Toronto. And then my husband came back and he was working in social or environmental sustainability. He was a climate change researcher. And we kind of just had our nice life. And then the place where he worked and had done the internship asked if he would come back. And so we made the decision, yeah, we could. And I could work on my job for a few more months um, long distance. And I thought, oh, it'll be fun to go to SFE. I'll be kind of on the other side of the table. Yeah. Um, and we had heard such good things about uh, SFE in Toronto and how it all worked. Mm-hmm. So I was quite excited to kind of make some linkages there. So you, that's a really interesting kind of entry point for you because that you, how you, you had a pre-understanding of integration services mm-hmm. and, you know, how, what it's like obviously from a different perspective though, but what it's like for somebody, mm-hmm. an immigrant, to come in at that entry point and, and kind of start all over. So, yeah. wow, I mean, I think that's a, that's a little bit of an advantage, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think it was an advantage. I mean, I, I walked off the plane and I knew to go to the SFE Centrum. Yeah. And I knew where to go and I walked in and I kind of had this, I felt like I was meeting colleagues. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think they thought they were <laughs> meeting a colleague. Um, I very quickly realized that uh, I was just going to be a student, which I was fine with, but I had kind of hoped that I, with my background in the Toronto case, that I could somehow link up with the services here. But that never happened. Oh, the expectations. Yeah, it was very, uh, in hindsight, like now, I'm like, I'm, I don't even know what I was thinking but it, to me I felt very like it was going to be colleague to colleague yeah um but it wasn't the case and then I did SFE uh for a while how did you find that experience I did it live up to the expectations that you wanted to you had, had for it no and I found it very frustrating to sit as a student and also like I found it very frustrating as a student learning Swedish uh-huh. but I also found it frustrating as someone who had kind of spent a lot of time evaluating these kind of programs yeah. and and being part of that. Mm. I mean, like, I don't, what are you doing? Mm. And I found it very frustrating when I tried to talk to um, the management of the school and when I tried to explain a little bit where I was coming from. I mean, they didn't really understand that I had done this in Toronto. They and just don't care. They didn't know. They weren't receptive uh, to my knowledge of how this should work or mm. different kind of concerns mm. and there were all sorts of issues that came up um, mm. that I didn't feel that they had taken very seriously uh, mm. during my time but I finished SFE and then I went and I Good got for a, you congratulations yeah. not Thank very many you. people do it was um it was a it was a challenge and then I went to work as a for school class the kindergarten teacher oh. in a school um in suburban Stockholm and I worked there for quite some time. Mm. Um, 
which I both enjoyed and felt really frustrated. Um, it was a job, so I was very happy to have one because I had figured out very fast that it's really hard to, to get a job. But I was also feeling frustrated and I was feeling like I wanted to um, do something else and I was feeling frustrated that I wasn't using any of my education skills. And then I had uh, an American friend who had been working for a, a, a small entrepreneurial company that had been bought out by an American firm and she was leaving and then she introduced me to that job. So then I switched and I went to work for this uh, other company in Kungenskurva which was a completely Swedish environment. Um, That's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and everyone in the workplace. So I was the only non-Swede uh, in the workplace. And my job was to kind of do sales. So these were not like cold calls, but with other companies, like sort of mediate different business, business, sort of, business to yeah. business, which was completely new to me. I'd always been in the nonprofit sector. So that I found kind of fascinating for a while. But I was also then getting frustrated. Mm. Um, because I was like, I, I didn't know if I wanted to stay mm. um, because I'd worked really hard to do my master's of planning. And one thing I had really enjoyed with my work in Toronto was feeling part of something else. Mm. Um, so we were debating back and forth what we should do because my husband loves his job. Yeah. Um, and he was really fulfilled. Yeah. And so that was at that point when you were, there, there was a tipping point. Yeah. Do we do, do I, I am as the traveling spouse. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am the one that is massively frustrated. Yes. and unfulfilled in what I'm doing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And how, and what brought you kind of back from the edge? <laughs> well, then, coincidentally, we were in the sort of talking a lot about this. Then I saw an advertisement for a PhD position here at Stockholm University in the Department of Human Geography, and doing a PhD was something I had always thought about but mm -hmm. hadn't really seriously considered in the Canadian mm -hmm. context because of the costs. Uh -huh. I was like I just don't feel I can do it with the amount of money even if you win scholarships and it's you know five years of very low income and mm. we had gotten used to having income. Yeah. Um, so I just applied. I thought okay and then I got the the position and that kind of changed things because suddenly it was like well it's five years and you you get a good salary here in Sweden because the system you're paid as a PhD candidate mm, mm. and you get your benefits mm, and mm. Um, it kind of turned more into a win-win. It was no longer I wasn't working towards something for mm -hmm. me. I was suddenly had something of my own. Yeah. And that kind of changed a lot, mm -hmm. the tables. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I started doing that and then I got pregnant mm -hmm. almost right away. Um, Quite often away. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> uh, there's no stress in my life. There's no I stress. Can I pregnant. can now get pregnant. And so I did. <laughs> and so then I had my first daughter and then subsequently another daughter during my PhD time. Uh -huh. And then I just kind of have settled into the, to the university. And yeah. it felt, even though I'm not working as a planner, um, it felt like I was steering back towards what you really wanted to what do. I wanted to do and it was certainly steered back into I was doing something for me mm -hmm. not just something to like earn mm -hmm. money or mm -hmm. sort of fill my days which I was sort of feeling before mm -hmm. even though day to day it was okay but I you're kind of working for money not 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 kind of just live not living for yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so what was the um because I'm really interested in sort of pinch points in people's mm -hmm. integration journeys mm -hmm. was there a particular pinch point which really was kind of like 
the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for you? Was there any kind of particular interaction that you had with a service or, or something that just was like, I'm, that's it, I'm done. You know, I'm, I can't do this. I can't be this frustrated any longer. Mm, I need to think for a minute. No, I mean, I think it was a whole series of sort of frustrations, mm -hmm. I think. I felt very frustrated um, that my skills weren't really being recognized. Mm. Um, and on one hand, I understood that as a planner, it's a very local kind of profession. You need yeah. to understand yeah. the environment yeah. in which um, you're working in. Yeah. But I also felt very frustrated in that... Um, Right, just moving the computer away. You know, I, I, noise. I came from, you know, a, a city that really grapples well with integration and having worked as an integration person in Toronto and, yeah. and I would say um, quite well respected by my colleagues mm. that I had ideas and things that mm. could be useful mm -hmm. and that those weren't really recognized. Okay. And I felt frustrated by that. Um, both like on a individual level, mm. but also just in a sort of, I felt it said a lot about how integration also worked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So tell us then a bit about, because this, because you've kind of used that experience mm -hmm. that you had um, in what you're doing now, yes. in the research that you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about what that is and yeah, the significance of it. So like I said, I'm at the Department of Human Geography, and here we have a research profile called Migration, um, Migration, Dem Demography, and GIS, I think is the official term, like the official group, but we have a pretty big migration portfolio here. Um, so I sort of sit myself as a migration researcher. I've always been very interested in, in the processes of how people move and how mm. they experience movement in all sorts of different ways. And then I have always been a feminist and very interested in women's experiences. Um, how do women experience that, that movement? Because one thing about migration is migration theory is that it always sort of assumes a neutral body or a neutral person is moving. Mm -hmm. And by neutral, they generally mean a male yeah. body. So when we think about those experiences, they're generally done from a masculine perspective yeah. or a male sort of neutral, normative body. And that just didn't really sit with my experience. Mm -hmm. I, I know as someone who's traveled a lot that being a woman really has shaped that experience. And I also knew from my own experience and sort of other people I met that being a woman was making our experiences very different. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in that question, like how do women experience migration and like how does that shape their day-to-day -day mm -hmm. integration? Mm -hmm. Um, so that was kind of one of the central questions I asked in, in my PhD. Like if we bring a, a gender perspective or a feminist perspective to migration, does it change the way we think about migration or does it change the way we think about integration and, and these kind of questions? And so in my PhD, I was part of a project which was called When the World Goes Rural. And that was a very general project, like looking at migration in the Swedish countryside. Yeah. Uh, which there hadn't been a lot of research done. And so I knew I wanted to do something on gender. I was pretty sure I wanted to do something on entrepreneurship because mm -hmm. it was sort of something that was really interesting to me and I think serves as a really interesting proxy for understanding integration. Um, 
And I quickly discovered that there were a lot of Thai women living in the Swedish countryside. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took like a day. (laughs) (laughs) And I had lived in Thailand a lot on and off throughout my whole childhood. And I had gone there after university. And I was very interested in the narratives around Thai women migration. So when I started asking people, you know, why are there so many Thai women here? And the answer was, well, very, I guess, negative stereotypes. Mm. And it just didn't sit with me. I was like, I don't quite believe that this is the explanation why mm. there are so many Thai women here. So I decided to focus on their migration in if particular. You don't mind me being explicit, was mm. or frank, that I'm guessing the negative narrative was their brought over from Thailand by... Yeah, the stereotype that they're sex workers. Bought over. They're either bought or they're sex workers. They're marriages of convenience. Yeah. Um, that they're, they're sort of a contradiction because on one hand, they're sort of victims of the system. On the other hand, they're kind of conniving and, uh, you know, planning yeah. this, you know, yeah. this kind of weird, doesn't make sense kind of stereotype. And then, of course, a lot of stereotypes about their husbands too, you know, that they... They can't get Swedish wives. They can't handle so-called modern women. These kind of stereotypes Mm. and a lot of Mm. judgments about Mm. Mm. um, people's relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, So I was just very curious about Mm. that. Like, Mm. it can't possibly be that. It can't possibly be that everybody is. And also, (laughs) okay, say that is true. What does that imply for how we understand migration? Yeah. Um, and how they then integrate into society. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went from sort of questioning that to doing interviews with Thai women living in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course they were entrepreneurs. So I sort of focused on their day to day, like how do they come into a community? How does that work or not mm-hmm. work? Mm-hmm. How do they build their own communities mm-hmm. and what do they need to feel good in, in these areas? Mm-hmm. And then also, what is it like to be uh, a migrant woman starting a business? Yeah. Um, and Thai women are actually really interesting because um, after five years in Sweden, they have the same employment levels as native-born Swedish women. So they have one of the best in labor market integration rates of all immigrants. Wow. Yeah. So after five years, they're on par. Um, That's incredible. How? Yeah. How? 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 What? I mean, yeah, and that was, <laughs> that was one of my questions. That was one of my questions. Like, how? What's their secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah. Like, what is the secret and what does it mean? Right? This group that's doing really well. And I'm always curious in groups that are doing well. Mm. For one, exactly as you said, what's their secret? Yeah. But also, like, how are they navigating the system? Yeah. And what's working? Because I think then we can learn as much from what works as what, yeah, what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important in understanding integration is to see and identify uh, groups that are working uh-huh. and not just always focus on I yeah on sort of the segregated neighborhoods or these you know problematic agree with you more. problematic groups and I did air quotes there um, because we understand some of those mechanisms quite well mm. so we need to also understand what works and uh, that way we can lift all groups up and really help. Yeah each other Mm. um so that's what i did through my my phd research Mm -hmm. i think one thing that was really interesting about um thai women that i found in my research that i don't think anyone knew before really or i didn't know at least was that a lot of the women who are entrepreneurs 
here in Sweden were entrepreneurs before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had had businesses uh, in Thailand. Mm. They weren't being entrepreneurs for the first time, but when they were meeting services, the assumption was is that they weren't, that they didn't know how to run a business. They didn't know how to do these sort of tasks because a lot of these stereotypes, of yeah. they, oh, they must be, be sex workers. They haven't run a business, but actually a lot were very highly skilled business people mm. and had made businesses in very competitive yeah. environments. Mm. And what they needed was not so much the story of how to run a business, because they had that. They had mm. maybe run five shops or something <laughs> in Thailand. But what they needed to understand was like, how does the tax structure work? Exactly. How does, what are the health regulations? What are the consequences if I don't follow Employment those? Employment law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and how do I employ people? And these sort of very, I guess, kind of boring, but pragmatic questions that make the difference of whether your business is going to succeed yeah. or yeah. not. And so it was very, there was a lot of odds between sort of perception of what they needed and what they were given what they were given and yeah. what they actually needed and whether that was going to be listened to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that was kind of that and now I'm finished my PhD and I have a new project which is looking for like opportunity it's called let me see if I can give you the correct name <laughs> opportunity and obstacles in migrant women's entrepreneurship um, uncovering resources and talents Mm -hmm. so what I'm really interested in is kind of building on that idea that which isn't such a radical idea but I think is kind of I think that migrants aren't are coming with all these skills and resources which are completely not recognized here Mm -hmm. and so the assumption is kind of when migrants meet services that they don't have a lot of these experiences like the Thai women who have run a business for 15 years for example Um, and how do we take those resources that are often hidden in the questions uh, that they get asked when they meet different services and make sure that there are ways for those to come out like, oh, you've done all these things. Yeah. Let's make sure we use your skills and, mm. and resources. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. I, th- I mean, it just, because uh, it... we, we were introduced through a mutual friend. Yeah. And uh, you joined us um, for one of the Mama Mutt sessions. Yes, which that we was did. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that's something you know. I am. I'm going through that particular journey myself mm-hmm. of being a foreign-born woman starting a business and and uh, building a business. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike those incredible Thai women, I have no experience building a business, <laughs> so I can I can you know I'm very much winging this by myself. But I think what you said is so true to reality. This 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 notion that um, you know there are these um, huge gaps in in what is what is being offered mm-hmm. to women in particular mm-hmm. um, uh, coming here from different countries um, at, because of some strange I don't see stereotype as the only way that I can mm-hmm. the only you know but there's some kind of is it almost institutionalized racism I don't know I mean that's the kind of strange um, or, or sexism I, you know, what is that? That, but, but this is, but I'm so pleased that we were introduced because what you are doing is basically exactly what I want to do, but, but not, I don't have an academic background. <laughs> so, so you're, so you're doing this much more effective. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're the one that's doing all the, the academic work. No. 
Um, but it was wonderful because I and I t- t- told this to you when we when you interviewed me for the the research. You know, I was doing I was writing a piece for a contribution that I'm doing to mm-hmm. a book that's coming out in the fall, and desperately trying to get my hands on some academic research or even policy that had been written about foreign-born women entering the job market Mm -hmm. in Sweden Mm -hmm. or having their own businesses. And there was nothing Mm -hmm. apart from the the work that you'd done. Mm -hmm. And it was just... That in itself spoke volumes to me about how little understood this whole phenomenon is Mm -hmm. of, you know, migration from a female perspective. There's very little... And there's very little, I think we have two things in terms of the research that make it difficult. One is economic research tends to, if they look at men and women, they tend to look at men and women as sort of very tight categories. So like in the box, the sort of gender as sex, so male, female. Uh Um, But generally, when we talk about a lot of these strategies, they go back to that neutral character that I was talking which, about. Which takes on a male. Which takes on a male perspective. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we look at entrepreneurship, for example, mm. generally, when we think of what is an entrepreneur or who is an entrepreneur, we think of these sort of male characters. I mean, we can think of, like, just here, like, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. And we maybe, maybe we'll think of Martha Stewart or something. But, you know, like, there's a lot of this sort of, masculinization of this economic practice yeah. and it goes largely unquestioned uh-huh. and a lot of when where women are doing entrepreneurship it gets categorized as small business yeah so one of the things like uh, that for example I show in my research is that we need to think more broadly about what activities are entrepreneurial um, and uh-huh. there is some research for example that shows like entrepreneur um entrepreneurship is defined within sort of male-led industry so we look at tech and all of these things Mm. innovation and how we use those terms are often in this sort of masculinized Mm. language Mm. and when we talk about what women do it's small business and therefore not as interesting because it doesn't sort of fit with the current discourse of what Mm. kind of Mm. cities we want to be I mean nobody wants to be the city of small businesses yeah right we want to be the city of entrepreneurship and innovation Mm-hmm. And those aren't really neutral terms. Mm-hmm. Those have a lot of meaning in, be- in behind them. What, what do we make up in that? So we have that on the one hand, sort of how we look at economic practices. I'm not an economist, so you'll, the economists live, you'll have to forgive me, but I'm a social scientist <laughs> on that. But then when it comes to migration, we also have that package. So it's hard to bring together anyway, yeah. you know, these different terms. Yeah. So I think women are kind of falling out of the loop. They're just kind of assumed as... Yeah part not really doing much interesting in that mm, part mm. or that they'll they'll find work uh somewhere um and a, it's in the three c's it's, yeah the three c's yeah. the cooking caring yeah. and uh, oh my goodness what's the third cleaning cleaning <laughs> like, that thing that i don't do enough of. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cooking caring and cleaning yeah and <laughs> that we see but then when we think about if you have a nice cleaning business Mm. You're not really considered an entrepreneur. No. You're considered a small business, which I think is wrong mm. because it is a lot of work yeah. to start that kind of business. And you yeah. have to be very creative. You, know, you have to get clients. You have to build trust, mm. all of these things. Mm. 
was, it's, um, I think it's a way of, like you said, this institutionalized sexism and, and racism very much shapes how we talk about yeah. whose activities yeah. are entrepreneurship or whose activities are interesting. Mm. Um, and we need to talk about it more. I mean, I often, when, when I was doing this um, piece of writing, you know, my, my conclusion came about was, was that particularly when it comes to the integration process, which has been established in Sweden, mm. because it was about, we, this was about Sweden, there had been so much focus placed on, and I'm doing air quotes here, the deviant male, mm. i.e. the bad immigrant who's coming mm. over to, you know, steal everybody's money and jobs mm-hmm. um that it seemed like female immigrants had just they'd just been forgotten about mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there'd been absolutely no focus on the particular gender needs of mm-hmm. that you know that immigrant so and, and a lot of it was to do again a lot of it was to do with you know the the role of of a carer mm-hmm how do you integrate somebody who is caring 24 hours a day for either a family mm-hmm. or relatives or how do they, how, the systems and processes that were in place just did not take any take, take that role into consideration no so it was a real that for me was a bit of a whoa eye opener mm-hmm. um and then, of course, when that partic- when that female immigrant was in a position to start the integration process, well, for a start, she was maybe two years behind mm-hmm. a male immigrant, um, even longer in some cases. But then, you know, she she'd kind of fallen off the bandwagon, as it were, of the mm-hmm. the, the, the the skills, the transferable mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. role, which then meant that she was automatically placed in the three C's category yeah yeah by you know the the public public services or or so on and so forth Mm -hmm. and 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 none of that none of her previous life skills life experience um was was even in some cases she wasn't even asked about it so it it really I mean it it was kind of yeah it it made it it shocked me greatly because I it's you know it exposed a lot of it, well, in, a, in some ways I felt a bit quite justified because all of the um, experiences that I had had and that my um, and friends and acquaintances had had um, were suddenly made sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because we'd all been in that position before mm-hmm. where we'd you know been kind of our, our, our integration experience had been somewhat you know um, uh, it it been stopped or mm-hmm, it been mm-hmm. prevented because of a caring rule. Um, but then when we wanted to get into that that process or get get you know start start on that um process of of, of you know learning the language, getting a job, that kind of integration process, um, we we suddenly found ourselves back at the beginning of our mm-hmm. careers, fifteen yep. years behind yeah and it was kind of quite shocking Mm -hmm. and and yeah so I yeah it's yeah because I think like it's we know that when you have a baby and you stay home for a year or a year and a half or 
whatever length, that that has impacts on on your career. Mm. But then when you add on the extra layers of being a migrant, like in the language skills, having your degrees or your education from other places, it just, I mean, I don't know what the estimate, but it, I think it like quadruples those mm. Mm. those sort of experiences. Because mm. not only do you have a gap in your CV from your carrying responsibilities, mm. which everybody mm. does, mm. but then you also have these additional Mm, additional mm, gaps mm, on top mm, of mm, on top of things mm. I mean do you think do you think it's just that do you think it's just the only thing that whole I mean some people would say well yeah I mean if you're a woman and you're a mother then you just have to put up with that I mean do you think that do you think it's as simple as that do you think it's mm. just playing devil advocate here like no you, know, you have to everyone has that everyone has everyone has a gap as you said everyone has a gap in their CV no because I think um, there's gaps and there's gaps, <laughs> I guess. I think, like, if you have uh, a local CV, like, say you have a degree from Handel's uh, Banken School, or, oh, that's not the right name, the, you know, the economy school, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a gap, well, that just looks like the normal narrative of a, of a life course. Mm-hmm. But I think when you combine that with maybe gaps, and especially migrants move a lot so Mm. it's not just maybe one gap the Mm. gap you had here Mm. but you might have multiple Mm. gaps because I think one thing that is problematic also when we conceive of migration it assumes that one person has moved from point a Mm -hmm. and then they move to b Mm. but that's not really how people migrate anymore right they move a to b to c and then maybe back to b yeah and then to e and so people especially women who are who have moved with their partners mm. have multiple gaps or very strange yeah I, I use the term strange loosely but they don't have this nice linear you know, linear career path you know yeah. I started at the bank as a as a teller and then I moved up to floor manager and then I did this and, yeah, yeah, yeah you know where I worked in a law firm as I'm you know yeah these processes it's often I did this which was completely different from that like if we look at my cv i worked as a planner and then i went and worked as a teacher in a kindergarten and then i <laughs> went and worked for a, a technical yeah company i mean those were really outliers mm-hmm. and they do look weird on my cv now mm-hmm. like, i mean i guess that's the thing isn't it i mean there's this other there's this whole other dimension to this it's it's, it's, it's such a complex and difficult um because you know there's 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 migrants which is a good way of describing the sort Everybody. of umbrella, yeah. you know. And then, but then under and under that umbrella, there's immigrants, there's expats, mm-hmm. there's you know refugees, there's asylum seekers. The, 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 and it, I, I guess you know, in some ways, there's a justification for having those silos of nicely, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. fitted in. But then within those, like I consider myself an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Because I moved here with my Swedish partner mm-hmm. to live here indefinitely. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning that wasn't really the you what, were, you were what we weren't planning. Yeah, but it you know within two three years we realized we were yeah. we were immigrating. Yeah. We had so to stay and here. this is the thing. So it's kind of like there's 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 two. I I just wonder if the policies and the processes that are in place now that were established 10 15 20 years Mm -hmm. ago even maybe even shorter than that 
no longer serve the earth, they're no longer fit for purpose or serve the purpose of how migration happens today. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just there, it's we are we live in such a transient and nomadic Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. because, well, that's just the 21st century, exactly. Technology's allowed us to do that, um, but you know, and and there's also you know, people are fleeing from from their lives in Mm -hmm. so many Mm -hmm. different ways. It's no longer, there's a kind of, this whole anti-immigration attitude kind of just seems archaic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I, I get that people, I get that people don't like they're scared. I understand that because change is really scary. And, Mm. and, and, seeing seeing somebody who looks different and who talks differently mm-hmm. and who has different traditions and rituals and, and, and a culture is, is, is scary and they're coming to your country. Mm-hmm. But it's just so it's just I yeah, I mean this is that's where I get this is where I lose the the, the rationality yeah. <laughs> and the academic kind of mindset yeah, and, and just go off on this kind of very heartfelt like, you know, I understand, like, I come from an island too. I get it, you know. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. get why people are so terrified about the change. influx of, in, you know, of, my, of my migration and change and, you know, cultural change and you know, what you what they see as a, a, a risk to their identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's been happening for the last 500, 600 yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I seem think, to forget that. <laughs> I think it's really important. And we talk, like, I teach a course here called Migration and uh, Global Processes. And that's what we start off with is that migration is nothing new. Mm. This is not a new story mm. in and such. But there is new stories in the speed yeah. in which people can move. Yeah the flexibility in which people are moving mm. and the changes in how people understand. Like if we take a very simple, like 1890s kind of narrative, mm. when you migrated, you left, say you left some farm in Skona mm. and you went to Canada. That mm. was it more or less. Because it took six months. It took to six get months <laughs> and you sent letters, you know, maybe you got a letter once or twice a year yeah. and I mean, yes, there was some return migration. You know, there were some back and forth and things I like mean, that. It's exactly the same from my from my country. You know, from Scotland, the Highland clearances happened, mm-hmm. and we all moved to Canada. Yeah, that's where I'm. My, my exactly. I, I'm the granddaughter of, of, of Scottish immigrants <laughs> from that who went to Canada at that exact time. Yeah, and um, I mean, they didn't go back, and so the way in which that was happening sort of set some of the tone for how we understand integration, which is a, not this kind of back and forth process. Mm. And this, as I was saying earlier, migration is A to B. Yeah. But now we don't migrate like that. People mm. don't just go from A to B. Mm. They move all over and places become much more blurred and they might move again. We have yeah. onward migration and those kind of questions. And they really challenge a lot of our notions of the nation state, which is a fixed... Absolutely 
kind of bounded, territorialized. Yeah, it's because it's, it's all tied up in identity and ritual and tradition. And exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So then you get, you get kind of stuck with these kind of lags in what we're doing mm. and how we understand the mm. world around us. And so it is really tricky to un- to talk about migration as it's happening today when we're still thinking about migration as sort of this very linear mm. process and also yeah. very like sort of heteronormative in that it's a male leading a family and mm. off they go. Mm. And that, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways in which people mm. migrate and mm. trying to compensate that yeah um is really really hard and then you have like legal structures and services and all of these things so it's really really hard and complicated to figure out how how to handle Mm. Uh, i mean i think we're living in really interesting times terrifying i would actually use (laughs) maybe (laughs) i mean it is this I don't think, I mean, I feel that there hasn't been a period of such mm. social unrest for about 50 mm. years, like mm. since the 60s and all those mm. movements that were... I really feel it's like we're, the Sweden is at cross purposes. Yeah, and, and I think really lots kind of... of countries are. There's so much going on in terms of sort of responding to changes in economics, like our, econ- yeah. like our economic systems are really changing, mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. welfare state, like the way we conceive and understand that is really changing. Mm. People are moving yeah. like all over the place. Nobody's yeah. staying where they're supposed to. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this is, and this is a crazy right? thing. This is a crazy thing because there are more Swedes leaving Sweden than ever before. Mm. So there's not okay. just people coming in. There's people, people going. going out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is one of the biggest problems as well. Is that this is why I was talking about this cross-purposes thing. You know, on the one hand, you, we've got... A, a huge proportion of Sweden going, no, we don't want any more migrants. Mm. We're done. Mm. You know, and if you want to migrate here, there are certain things that you need to do before you're allowed to, to be here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then on the other hand, you know, public services are going, we need migrants. Mm-hmm. We need people from foreign born countries to come here and work so that we can maintain our cradle to grave welfare system. Yes. Yeah, and those and are those contradictions it's, it's just like, that are it's, happening. It's very confusing and it's very hard to to understand. Um, I think those contradictions, and that's what I'm hoping to find out a little bit more in the research. Like, how mm. do you deal in the welfare state with these, exactly as you said, these mm. contradictions between, on one hand, we need people, mm. we need labor, mm. we know that we can't, especially in rural areas, we know that this village can't survive Mm. without people coming you know we if we want to run a school we need children yeah <laughs> to go to it and those sort of things and on the other hand this other rhetoric of not wanting more migrants and mm. and uh and i don't know how that'll resolve itself yeah i mean it'll be interesting with the election as you say because mm. that'll help steer but also just how it starts to play itself out yeah um because we do see a polarization Absolutely. In, in those debates, and we see polarization in societies. And, mm. and it's not just in Sweden, it's in all sorts of... Sure. All of sorts course. of... Like, I think it's part of this bigger global... Mm. You know, mm. we're, we're feeling the effects of, you know, a lot of neoliberal policies that came into the 80s, and, yeah. you know, those sort of things are now mm-hmm. kind of coming through the system, and people are... I mean, migration on one hand is loosening, it's 
never been kind of easier to move, mm-hmm. but it's also getting harder and harder. It, it, in one ways, I, I think about it like this. It's the, the migration itself is becoming easier, but it is the integration that is becoming harder. Yeah, and, that's an interesting uh, thing to think about. And, um, you know, there are... I, my favourite, my favourite, or my, my not my favourite, but my... The thing that um, that makes me, it gets my puff, my chest all puffed up at the moment is when people, these Swedish politicians are, you know, banging the drum of, you know, you can't, if you don't, if you don't speak the language, then you're not getting any welfare. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, if... If these if if these if if these politicians just lived for one day mm. in a migrant's shoes, trying to learn the language, trying to get a job, trying to care for their family, mm-hmm. which they are, you know, just you know trying to put mm-hmm. food on the plate mm-hmm. table, my God, they would make it easier because yeah. that person is probably going to be paying taxes as well as you know, yeah. Yeah. So I it just I, I it seems like a really easy shot to make, you know. Um, but there's my puff. There's my chest. <laughs> Rain it back in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's. It, um, I think it's a interesting debate around how integration is understood. Like how do we understand integration? And I think it's often discussed by politicians as in something that like has happened, like one day you're integrated. Yeah, and, it but, just, it's, and it's just like that. Yeah. But I think integration is very much, very much a process. Mm. And there are different ways people are integrated and feel integrated in yeah. different sort of ways. So a lot of the time, like politicians will talk about like this first job and it's kind of being the key. You have to get that first job. Well, what does that mean? Sorry, I'm shaking my head and rolling yeah. my eyes here. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm starting to do some research on the gig economy, right? Mm. And that's kind of interesting because that could be construed as a first job. Right? You have a job, but you're completely locked out of the social welfare state system. You're locked out of any benefits. So is that integration? Mm. Is that when people feel... Yeah integrated and then there's the social when do you feel socially part of the society Mm. you're living in Mm. or when do you when do you um feel part of sort of these public debates or do you Mm. feel like you're actively part Mm. of them they're all different stages and so because this is a big question i have you know like there i there's a lot of our listeners and readers and followers and so on who are, have lived in uh, Sweden for many years, um, who have Swedish family, mm-hmm. um, and but they don't have a job, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they probably they, they don't necessarily speak the language. Mm-hmm. So does that mean they're integrated or not? I don't know. Because I guess by definition. Be, I guess by definition, no. no right? Yeah. Um, sorry, listeners. No, no, no. We're getting a bit... Um, I mean... <laughs> But that's where you get that contradiction between sort of formal definitions of this integration, right? And, the, and then the, our I, feelings. I mean, yeah. if you've lived here and you have a community and exactly. a nice life, maybe you really are yeah. integrated. And you're contributing into to, to society in other ways as a community leader or as a, you know... You know person happened? raising citizens. Yeah. Um, those sort of things. So I think it is worth, I think it is worth, especially as researchers, to sort of question 
what is integration. There's a really interesting researcher in Helsinki who's doing research on Finns in London mm. and how they understand their mm. their integration processes and what kind of things do they they talk about. Mm. And uh, she gave a presentation where she said she thinks the point of integration is when you stop buying medicine and cosmetics in your home country. Okay. Um, she felt like this was the measure <laughs> that when you felt that you could go to your local pharmacy uh-huh. in your new country and get what all the things you needed and were satisfied with those. That, that is a you, really interesting point. You I, I were would, integrated. I would say as well, um, you know you're integrated when you can buy all of your baby's goods, baby products. Mm-hmm from your local store yeah and not have them shipped over from yeah. <laughs> by a family member yeah yeah and i think the so day, the day i stopped buying calpol from the uk was the day <laughs> that was the day you became sweet <laughs> but i thought when she when she was talking about that i was like i thought she was really nailing it on the head because yeah. that meant that you were you knew the products mm-hmm. right you knew where to get them mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. knew your community well enough you could probably read all the labels and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I thought yeah that's a really interesting there is a trust and a, a trust in your look like in that product yeah a trust in the system that mm-hmm. this was of good quality because often when you interview uh, migrants they often like our products from home are better yeah you know you have that yeah, and we've all been there I mean yeah, I will yeah. you know I I I load up on sanitary pads <laughs> in Canada and I bring them back <laughs> you know like these kind of things um I think that we all relate to. Uh So I thought it was like, that's a really interesting way to conceive integration. Um, Now I don't think a policymaker (laughs) would go go for that. But I thought it was a really nice way of sort of thinking about, because it was very social, the social, but it also had this economic, how you wanted to spend your resources. Yeah, because it's one of the things that we, I mean, a little bit abroad, that's what I wanted to get across to people at the end of the day it was you know how can you provide how can you give people a resource when they're looking for something that replaces something from home mm-hmm. you know that is that is yeah. when especially when you are in the situation of you're caring for a young family you're trying to set up a new home you're dealing with a lot of administration you're trying to figure out new systems of bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff like that and all you want is something that is a home comfort or mm-hmm. that is exactly. like a home product mm-hmm. and that was for me was a, a big part of thing is, is looking for going out there and looking for like for like services businesses stuff that that you would a, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's a really important thing about understanding migration is that it's a like a corporal experience it's our bodies are moving and our bodies enjoy certain tastes of food and feels Mm, and mm. it's not neutral migration Mm. is not a neutral Mm, process mm, and so mm. it's perfectly normal to long for those comforts of Mm. home and Mm. those comforts of food and Mm -hmm. beauty products and we you know sanitary pads that are Mm. the same or tampons that are the same those kind of very bodily functions are really really important and yeah. need to be understood as part of the migration process you don't it shouldn't be that you should ex- be expected to give up all of those mm. and sadly, things of but who you sadly are. some people have to I mean, yeah and that really comes of circumstances. because of circumstances and that's why it's so i think when you become 
when you come here in different circumstances. It's so traumatic because you don't have that time to adjust mm. to changing all of these these yeah. things that happens very fast. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, the, you know, that's one of the questions that I really want to answer is, is you know, is, is learning the language and getting getting a job the end of integration and I I, I, I believe it. no it's not no. it's not it's not as simple it's not as cut it's and dry as that no I don't think so as a my own experience I mean I have a job yeah uh, a very comfortable job and I speak Swedish I have a Swedish citizenship mm. I mean I love Sweden I love living here I have mm. a really nice life you pay taxes I pay taxes I pay them <laughs> we all pay taxes we all are paying our taxes I think that's it I mean that's a cut that's a nail on the head isn't it I mean when, when you're that's that from not from an academic point of view but from a from a political point of view and from a, so- yeah. a social point of view it, it is that we need to pay taxes for the welfare state to work and that's what they see as that's as integration. integration but if you were to ask me where home is I'll still say Canada really I mean, home is actually home. I mean, here yeah. where my family yeah. is and things. Okay. But like, um, and I feel very much at, at home. Yeah. I feel comfortable with home. Yeah. But the go-to response is still sometimes. You know, that's where my mom is. That's, yeah. you know, they oh, sort of like this emotional connection. Yeah. connection. And I don't have a burning desire yeah. to return, no. to, to live there. No. I like my life here. Mm. But I even as someone who is fully integrated in the formal sense, mm. I'm still, that process is still happening. Mm-hmm. Home is still another place, mm. even mm. if it's not, hasn't been home for 11 years mm. in the physical mm-hmm. sense. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel a similar, I feel a similar way. Yeah. Um, you know, I have created a life here and a home. Uh, my daughter is Swedish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do not feel Swedish, but I would still call this home. Home. Yeah. But my yeah yeah yeah. But my my inner home. Yeah. Did you call it that? In our I, home? Yeah. I, yeah, is, I think that is, works. Yeah, is, is, is where my, my parents are. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and I think, like, that's familiar for a lot of mm. people. I mm. mean, you don't just erase our histories because no. we've migrated. No. And uh, I don't think that that should be part of the process. And I believe that's why it's so important to not... I, I feel using the word that's why I kind of get really offended by the word assimilation mm. because it does insinuate this you must drop your identity. Yeah. yeah. I mean uh, uh, assimilation uh, uh, is a very special theoretical yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, and some countries have adopted that as their model of it. Of, yeah of integration yeah. so we can have integration a little bit on the a little bit on the top and then assimilation is one way in which yeah. to yeah to go about yeah. that and it yeah I mean I think assimilation is very much too based on that old migration pattern mm-hmm. a to b mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if you have migrants who are doing things like that then maybe it works 
quite well. I'm not advocating assimilation in any mm. way, but I'm, I think historically that's kind of been the model mm. that mm. it's based on, mm-hmm. which probably doesn't work in contemporary migration. Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. for well, I think for me it's just yeah, it's about maintaining one's identity and one's one's own traditions and cultures and 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 uh, and rituals, um, which is much more the multicultural. Yeah. Model. Where, yeah. Like there's different ways I of, think, yeah. of being uh-huh. in togetherness. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. And um which is yeah. But I, I wonder if there is a very yeah, I, I do wonder if there is a movement towards assimilation in some respects. Or, you know, integration as assimilation in some oh. respects. Which I find a bit distressing yeah well that's interesting i need to think about that sorry <laughs> no 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 i think it's just really interesting um yeah I, i'm not sure i need to think before it's a really interesting comment so my interest is is i, I don't and I, I don't i don't see it as a as a kind of i'm not trying to be um I'm not trying to be um, controversial or... No, no, I don't think it's controversial. It's just, it's very interesting to think about. Like, what? Yeah, I just... Where do we see... Where the lines are drawn? You know, where do the... Where do the... Where do the... Where do... Where do the... Where does it stop and start? Where's the... Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And where where do we put those lines in the... In the sand? Mm Mm-hmm. Just trying to see. This is the academic. I'm looking for a book, but <laughs> I realize that that doesn't help anyone on the podcast. <laughs> so, for, um, yeah, and I think like this is just one of those back and forth over time mm. processes will, you know, go up, go down. It's a long process. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes in because we're expecting integration to happen tomorrow yeah. or we're expecting very easy answers to and, integration and also it, it's not a new thing no I mean, that's the thing that no people, no we no need to keep, we need to keep remember like yeah everyone needs to know this that this has been something that's been happening no i mean this is and this is something that's not entirely new to sweden either despite mm. the discourse yeah um i mean if we look at the history if we look at finnish migration mm. to sweden or even or, or even after that the um the chileans yeah and, you know there have been large and the yugoslavs and, and then yeah. the iraqis there's all sorts of groups that have come so this is not this is not our first rodeo mm. you know but going through that to think it is, yeah. yeah and so i think we need to keep in mind and there are lots of places that have had lots of migration coming in mm. and um mm. Well, I'm really, really interested in finding out more about the results of your study. Yeah. Because I think I, being a feminist too, am hugely interested in turning this conversation into, well, let's look at immigration, let's look at migration from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and why hasn't this happened before? And, and how can we... How can we really adjust some of these processes um, to take into consideration the 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 activities around these 
um, these women and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and and the diversity of yeah. people's experience. Yeah, I think it's really important when we talk about migration is to recognize how many different stories there are out there yeah. and how many different experiences yeah. they are and how they are all important and everybody's journey is really important that we need us it's not as monochromatic it's as... not monochromatic and it's complex and people are complex and society is complex mm. and these are really hard mm. questions and mm. i think be wary of very fast solutions yeah um, being offered and expectations that they're that the answers are easy that they're they're not easy and they haven't been historically easy mm. you know there's mm. been long long processes mm. um, of how we understand if we look at like the united states i mean if we think of the irish as a we're a problematic migrant group mm. in the early 20th century yeah and you know now if someone were to suggest that the that Scots would being a problematic yeah, <laughs> yeah and now if we were to suggest that that would seem somewhat ludicrous so yeah. the way we understand migration always changes as well that it's but do you think because we're dealing or the or the government is 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 taking a, a monochromatic approach to this and as as predominantly focusing on north african you know uh asian groups mm. that that the people of color, the the color of people's skin, is actually what is driving a lot of the discourse and rhetoric, as opposed mm. to the Irish immigrants who mm. are now not seen as you know being who, problematic yeah. immigrants. You know, um, yes, I think that a different sort of racialized language yeah. around migrants is definitely yeah. playing a role, and I think it's. Um, difficult to talk about it you know these are mm. these are hard terms mm. um to 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 discuss but i also think that it needs to be acknowledged that that's part of the yeah part yeah. of the discourse and the way in which groups are understood mm-hmm. and sort of confronting mm-hmm. different sorts of racism and sexism mm-hmm. uh, in the system is really important mm. to to mm. understanding that but i think it's also really important to understand within that that race is a social construct yeah absolutely and that how we understand race also really changes Mm. um you know like the irish and the yeah to get back to that example or you know these sort of things are always changing and um so i think it's difficult conversations that need to be Mm, need to be had and i think those are really important conversations and that's like we we had discussed before the a multicultural center mm-hmm. i mean i think they are really leaders in sort of taking those debates in the swedish yeah. context yeah um there's another organization um amphi which is a education center mm-hmm. uh, they make films for teachers and things like okay. how do you talk about racism and mm. things in the classroom i think mm. there's some really neat work as well mm-hmm. um for mm-hmm. sort of discussing these issues because yeah. they're really they're hard to discuss. They're not easy. And there's no and there's just and there's no right answer. Yeah, You're discussing also, really complex ideas. And also by going down the opposite being going down the opposite route of, you know, kind of being colorblind yeah. is just almost as unacceptable as, you know, yeah. the racism that, you know, it's No, because you're you're to. hiding the diversity of people's experience. Yeah. And I think it's really important when we talk about 
different people's experiences that we we treat them with everybody with respect that it's mm. you know people's migration stories are difficult it's not easy to be a migrant yeah. ever mm. um but being colorblind to that is not really the solution no. either yeah um and i think it does a disservice to people's experiences um who are really struggling in swedish society yeah um and it is you know so we need to talk about these sort of issues mm. um but they're not easy to. No. They're not easy to talk to. And they're not easy to talk about in today's political climate where things get blown up really fast. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, well, um, we will put those links up on the website attached to the podcast that you suggested. Okay, the center, sure. The centres in um, Amphi. Amphi, yes. Amphi, because yeah. I, think, I think it's really useful for people to have resources at hand that can yeah that explain really well and i think what's yeah. nice about those is that they're the swedish context mm. um because a lot of our race literature for like at least for researchers comes out of the american context mm. and that's a very different context from the swedish yeah. so it's nice to have swedish literature yeah. as well yeah um okay. yeah well, thank you for an amazing chat. Well, thank you so much it for was, having me. It was really um, fun. <laughs> yeah. I hope um, you invite me back. <laughs> well, I'm sure we will. Um, I'm sure I'll, I'll have a, my puffed out chest about something sooner or later, which you'll have to just get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Um, it's something that I am becoming more and more interested in, mm. um, especially, um, you know, the integration um, services in Sweden and you know, from entry point to, you know, what is the end point of mm-hmm, that? How mm-hmm. does it, how and what do does you know, that what look does like? That look like? Yeah. What does that mean? Um, um, so I'm sure we'll be back to talk more about that once yeah. I've got a clearer idea in my head of what I think it is. You yeah. can, And hopefully you know. I'll also have a clearer <laughs> idea. <laughs> and yeah, and you need to come back and tell us about the, the results of the study. Yeah, and, I'd be very happy to. That would be fantastic. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jill. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Swede Life. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back again next Thursday with another fresh episode. So please do tune in and we'll see you then. Bye.